This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 416. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined by producer extraordinaire, Master Chief, Matthew Marister. <laughs> What's up, guys? Glad to be here once again. <laughs> and he was not a Master Chief no, in the military, in the Marines, but uh, but uh, he's, he, he was pretty awesome nonetheless, weren't you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> all right so um today's episode guys we're talking about getting back to the range uh particularly after a break which many of us have had forced upon us with coronavirus uh, social distancing guidelines ranges being closed or shut down things going back and forth and left and right i mean we had a local indoor range here matthew that uh, reopened after they were given social distancing guidelines and then they were shut down again because apparently the county decided to change rules again or who knows what and they got back open i heard uh, just the other day so craziness with all of this so you know i i had to had take a break from the range there because the one i frequent the most uh, was not available uh did you have to do something similar Oh yeah, we we went through the same exact process as you were saying. It was closed, and then it was sort of open, and then they said they threatened us with you know legal action because we were going to reopen, and it got closed again, and then it got reopened. So yeah, yep, yep. So what to do when you've had a break and you haven't been able to go and shoot and practice or train? That's the topic of today's episode, and I'm looking forward to discussing it with you, Matthew. Uh, we're we're going to give you guys some tips, some suggestions, some you know, we're talking about practice plans and, and you know how to warm up properly, maybe some drills and things you might want to do or run or test yourself on. Uh, what skills are the most perishable and maybe that should be an area that we might want to consider focusing. Matthew's got some some thoughts on safety and things like that uh, that I think is also really important and relevant as well. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Mountain Man Medical which you can find at mountainmanmedical.com. Uh, that is our source for good quality and affordable, very reasonably priced trauma kits and other medical uh, trauma-type supplies, mountainmanmedical.com. And actually, we're going to have Brian, uh, who is our medical expert as a former corpsman in the Navy and having worked in ERs and stuff like that, uh, Brian uh, heads up a lot of our efforts at Mountain Man Medical, and he will be with us on Tuesday to bring us a special announcement. Actually, uh, he's going to tease us and, and give us a preview of some things to come on the newly launched Mountain Man Medical YouTube channel. So we look forward to having Brian with us on Tuesday. Today's episode also sponsored by... And this is more of a, you know, they're not actually, I should be clear, they're not officially a sponsor of the episode, although we have a very close working relationship with Mantis. They don't have to be a sponsor when we sell their product and we make, you know, a little money off of it. And we appreciate those of you that support us and them. And so we sell Mantis X in our store. And Mantis X, I think, is a hugely valuable tool, uh, particularly with today's topic in mind, Matthew, getting back to the range after being away for a time. Uh, there may be some things that have crept up on you skill-wise uh, that you might not have noticed, but Mantis X can help you discover some of those deficiencies, uh, particularly in your trigger work and, and grip work and stuff like that. 
And I think that's a huge help for somebody that's just getting back to the range and trying to get things going again. And of course, it's a huge, hugely valuable training tool in dry fire as well. So check out Mantis X at concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X, M-A-N-T-I-S-X. That will take you to a page for the the, the Mantis X uh, Classic uh, Edition, but you can navigate on the site there and 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 and, and find the other Mantis products because we we sell also the I think we got the X2 on there now, the X3 and the X10 all available for sale on the ConcealedCarry.com store. So, Matthew, yes, getting back sir. to the range after being away for a time after a break. Um, you actually, I mean, you proposed this idea and I, I, and I know where your thought process was going with this because there was an incident at your range just Mm -hmm. yesterday. Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, to give you just a little context, I held a private class yesterday in the morning. Um, and so we have a training range at the range, but this is a big, uh, fishing game. So there's an open range. Uh, they have a couple pistol ranges and, and, and a rifle range and shotgun, all kinds of stuff over there. But we have our own private range. We did our thing. Uh, and I took off. I left. I head back home. Um, and, uh, about an hour or two later, I get a call from, uh, one of the guys that works up at the range. He says, Hey, somebody just got shot up here. And I said, well, that's interesting. I need to know. Right. And so, um, he tells me, uh, this is what happened. So, uh, a lot of people, the range just opened, uh, back to the public maybe three or four days ago. And since this time, uh, he said that the range has been packed. Like people uh, have been coming there and there's no reservations. It's outdoor, you know, so people get up there and, um, you know, you have to shut down the range to go down range and pace up your targets and stuff. So people are doing that and being safe and all that. And there's this one guy who's been a, a member there for quite a while. He's a uh, he's a nurse. Uh, he's uh, been working healthcare and all this stuff and working really hard. Uh, but he's been going up to the range since it's opened nearly every day. Um, and so he tells me that this guy has, um, his rifle, uh, that he's been shooting. He puts it in a case, um, and closes the case and the case is, uh, you know, oriented perpendicular to the firing line, as you would think that, you know, you're putting your, your gun away that way, rather than the muzzle being downrange, how it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, as he closes the case and he, the, the case was a hard case. Uh, there was some, it was filled with foam. Um, I don't know all the particulars outside of, you, you might have some questions like, was there anything else in the case? And I asked this like magazines or locks or, or boxes of ammunition or anything, or was it just the gun? He didn't really know, but, um, he, he knew it was a foam inserted case. He close, closes the, the, the lid of the, the case, the gun fires, the rifle fires. Um, and, and, and like you said, it's, it is sideways, you know, to, yes. like it's, it's per, like you said, perpendicular to the downrange area. Right. And it, it is, you know, like the, the line is packed, right? The line is, uh, is packed. And unfortunately, um, it ends up striking the round strikes, uh, somebody who was standing right next to him. Um, and the, the rifle it's chambered in 303 British, which I, I'm not really familiar with that, but I believe it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's comparable to a 30 out six. It's probably a little bit, you know, a little bit lighter in, in power, but not by much. Right. But, but the projectile is still a pretty beefy 
beefy yeah. projectile. You're it, it's thirty caliber, man. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> right. it's it is. I mean, it is literally like you know, it's three hundred three as opposed to say three hundred eight. But but yeah, right. it's it's thirty caliber. It's going to leave a mark. <laughs> and this is at like maybe eight feet at most. Dang. Um, so yeah, and it strikes this guy in the upper thigh. Um, Ugh. and yeah, luckily, uh, th- thankfully the, the round didn't strike, uh, his femoral artery. Um, but it did do quite a bit of damage. Um, and so they, uh, they called paramedics, paramedics got there, took him out, and then they ended up having to life flight him. Um, what I asked, you know, initially was, did he have medical gear or was there medical gear on the line? And uh, our, the, the range, the open range, and probably like many of the ranges you guys go to, if they're outdoor clubs or ranges and things like that, they may have a, you know, a range trauma kit somewhere on the range. It might be on the line. It might be back at the RSO sh- uh, shed or something like that. Um, well, there was a, there was a, uh, a trauma kit, but it wasn't up on the range. And um, the RSO was not in, in the, you know, in the, the shed, he was walking the line and um, it's a huge, it's, it's a big area. And so by the time he would have gotten back to there, grabbed the kit and got back up there, um, it, you know, at least a minute would have had had a pass. Mm. Um, luckily, somebody had uh, a, a, a tourniquet on the line, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know if it was the individual got shot or the one who shot him, um, but they applied a tourniquet, um, which controlled some of the bleeding. And, uh, you know, who knows if it saved his life? I don't know. I don't have any particular, you know, uh, information after that as far as the damage or or what all happened and who who applied it. I'll get more information as, you know, we, we find out a little bit more. It just happened yesterday. But it got yeah. me thinking because we we talk about this uh, a lot, Riley. I mean, and, and we we comment on on posts and I see a lot of people that say, you know, I don't need trauma gear because my range has it. You know, there's a there's a range kit or, you know, I have what I need in my truck or whatever. And it's, it, it, it just, it, this is one of those things where you can't put your, your safety in somebody else's hands. If you have a, a, a you're counting on that trauma kit that the range has. I mean, think of all, all the hands that have gone through there. Maybe it's, maybe a piece of gear is going to be there that you need, or maybe it, it won't, or maybe it's damaged or it's, you know, expired if it's, you know, a, a quick clot type material or something like that. So, or it's, you know, it's, it's just not, it's a, uh, it's a bogus tourniquet, right? Maybe the range bought a bogus right. tourniquet, a, a knockoff tourniquet. So yep. in stuff like this, I mean, this is your life and you don't know if it's, it, people will say, well, I'm safe. You know, I've never had a discharge. I've been shooting guns my whole life. Well, it might not be you that does you know that makes the mistake it's the guy standing next to you and so i have a feeling that this might have been cause uh i mean they said he was a nurse and 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 he had been working so it might have been a situation where he had been overworked working really hard uh just getting back out to the range and and you know a lot of things on your on your mind and you're kind of a little rusty with your your mechanics or whatnot and you take a quick little you know you turn off your brain for a second Yep. And uh, and a mistake like that's happens, and and that's that's key. What you said right there, turning off the brain. You know, uh, anytime we're handling a firearm, uh, in fact, we 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 rewrote the safety rules for our purposes at concealedcarry.com. In the classes I teach, uh, I mean, they're very similar, right? But there's some wording that was changed, and that was that was something I felt really important. Uh, 
or felt was really important. And, and because of what I wanted to communicate to my students when I'm teaching them about firearm safety in a class and on the range. And rule number two, right, which normally is read something along the lines of, um, you know, always keep the muzzle of your gun pointed in a safe direction or something to that effect, right? The way we rewrote it is always be attentive when handling a firearm and know where the muzzle is pointing. Because I inherently believe that uh, nobody intentionally, you know, wants, unlike, except for when they're, you know, committing murder, right? Uh, but nobody intentionally thinks, oh, I'm going to point this muzzle at this person. Uh, they, they do stuff like that because they forget what they're doing. The brain switches off. They are no longer being attentive and paying attention to what they're doing with that firearm in that moment. So it's not that they don't understand that the gun's dangerous. It's it's that they they don't under or that they have forgotten what they're doing with it. They are not paying attention. So it's that attentiveness piece that I think is so 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 key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know some of the comments. You know who put who puts their you know their rifle away loaded. I he does. I mean I'm sure he doesn't normally do this. And that's that that key right. Like this is is, is a lapse in judgment where he maybe thought he cleared it and he didn't. Um, and it, it just right. takes, you know, it just takes that one, one quick second to, uh, to, you know, be talking to the guy next to you or mm-hmm. thinking about something else. Like, you know, somebody calls you, Hey, I got to get home. So I'm trying to put my stuff away really quick. And I, I liked what you said about, um, you know, the safety piece, uh, in your, cl- in the classes uh, yesterday, you know, when we first started that, that, and this is a guy who he had, he's a good shooter. The, the guy I was, uh, I, I had a private class with, right. He, he shoots a lot. And, uh, and the first thing I did was have him unload his gun and we went through some dry fire stuff. And it's not because I didn't trust him or that I didn't think that he was a capable shooter. It's just because I don't know the last time he actually put rounds down range. He told me he'd been to the range a couple of times, but, uh, it hadn't been for, you know, for a couple months. And I was like, all right, well, let's get back into handling the gun and getting the gun in your hand before we just start cranking rounds around, right? Like, let's, let's, let's go through that basic, you know, fundamental stuff of getting back with the, with the gun in your hand and, and, and racking the slide and, and, and holstering and unholstering and doing that stuff. He said he was dry firing, but yep. nothing replicates, you know, live fire. You can get away with a mistake in dry fire, but you can't in live fire. So we started dry fire me, myself as well. You know, we got out yep. there and I unloaded my gun. So, um, I think that's one, one thing to maybe think about when you get back out to the range, if you haven't, or just, you know, start that, get all, work out all those kinks, right. That, you know, uh, with dry fire without the gun loaded before you just jump in and start drawing from the holster and doing kinds of, you know, time drills and cold start drills and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm a big believer that firearm safety is also a perishable skill almost. I mean, I I think firearm safety uh, is, is learned. It has to be learned. Uh, It is something that I, you know, and the reason I believe that is because my interactions with so many people and students and other, other instructors even over the years where you, you know that they know, or that they've been taught the safety rules, but, Yet then you you watch them handle the gun and you're like, dude, you haven't handled a gun in a while. There, there's something inherently tied or it ties safety with really knowing what you're doing as you are handling 
and manipulating a firearm, I, I think. Uh, you know, some of it I think is a, almost a confidence thing because what, what we see sometimes is is people with lackadaisical attitudes, like just, just the manner in which they, hand, they handle the firearm. Uh, and I see that more in somebody that hasn't been doing it as much or hasn't done it in a long time uh, or, or recently, you know, or, or frequently, you know. So, yeah, this is a great point. Now, the other big lesson from your, your story, Matthew, is, and again, we're talking about getting back to the range. And, and, and the reason I started with this is because this is a great reminder to us all of how important it is we can't let our brains go out the window. We gotta stay we gotta stay focused on the task at hand when we're handling dangerous tools like a firearm. Uh, and, and I think it's easier potentially, and I'm not saying that's necessarily what ha- we don't know what happened for sure in this instance, but I think it's easier that someone could make a mistake like this when they haven't been, again, like I just said, spending as much time around their guns uh, in recent history. Um, but the other big thing, how critical is it to have quality trauma gear, you know, a basic IFAC, having it right there with you could be the difference maker between life and death and and could have been in this case. I mean, it sounds like fortunately there was somebody there with a tourniquet ready. And mm-hmm. fortunately this dude didn't get struck in the artery. He's yeah. very, 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 very lucky. Uh, but still that tourniquet, it, it was handy to, you know, it, even it's not a bad idea sometimes to even just proactively, especially when you know somebody's going to get immediate medical care, like they're within 30 minutes or even an hour of a hospital. It's not a bad idea sometimes to proactively just go ahead and get that tourniquet on. Uh, there, there's going to be probably quite a bit of, of blood and tissue and just stuff, especially being shot by a 30 caliber bullet. So, uh, you know, rather than wasting time trying to decide, do I need a tourniquet or not? If you're in doubt, just use, just use a tool and we sell tourniquets at, mountainmedical.com non you know uh, counterfeit direct directly <laughs> supplied from North American Rescue the cat cat gen 7 tourniquet uh, that's that's what i recommend for sure yep. Okay, uh, let's get into some other lessons, though, and, and other tips and suggestions for getting back to the range after a long break. And I thank you so much for sharing that uh, experience, yeah, sure. Matthew. You know, when you, when you shared that with our, our team internally here yesterday, I was just like, whoa, dang. You know, I mean, you weren't there, obviously, at the time, but just knowing that that happened uh, a short time later after you left the range, uh, boy, it's just a, that's a wake-up call, you know, knowing it's yeah. that, that close close to home. Sure. And, and, and you, you, we all know, we, we, could, we could have been that, either the guy that made that mistake because his brain switched off there for a moment, or we could be the guy in the next lane over that gets shot. Mm-hmm. You know, which is why I'm I'm dialed in. I'm paying attention to the people and what they're doing when I'm at the range. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually more uh, anxious when I'm at a range, an indoor range that has the walls that like are not glass that you can't see through. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of times those, those side walls are politically protected, but they're not always depends on the range. It'd be a good, good question to ask if you're, if you're, uh, if you want to know at your range or if you're seeking out ranges, it'd be a good thing to ask. Uh, cause I find that's a, that's a nice little extra layer of, of protection from those site, those people on the sides. But, uh, even that ballistic protection may not stop, uh, around like a, you know, like a, like a 30 out six or three Oh eight or two, 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 three. Uh, I do like those ranges, though, where you got the ballistic class. Even though it's nice to have the privacy sometimes, I like being able to keep my eyes on other people and be like, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing, yeah. you know? We've all seen those videos of what people do in, you know, on the, on the, in those indoor shooting ranges, checking the laser with their, with their hand in front of it or taking selfies and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Matthew's uh, on uh, – 
Facebook here has a great comment. Not 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 the Matthew that's on the podcast with us, but uh, he says overconfidence kills safety procedures and fundamentals the most. And uh, I agree, overconfidence is 100%. is deadly. Um, and overconfidence leads to us sometimes not you know to kind of check out from again those really important things that we're doing as we're handling that firearm. Okay, so uh, other things. Here was my thought, Matthew, when we start talking about this topic. Uh, in preparation for today's episode, I was thinking, okay, what would be the most perishable skills relating to shooting uh, when I've had a break? And let's let's actually even make the assumption because there's definitely some things that if you're doing, if you've been doing a lot of regular dry pra- dry dry fire practice during this this break, uh, I you know I've been doing some myself uh, and. Uh, you know, if you've been, if let's let's just assume you haven't, okay? So, because because dry fire would help keep some things in check, right? But not everything. So let's assume you you just cold, take a break from shooting for a while. Uh, how would you get back into things? And and maybe where would you spend the most time? What's your kind of your eighty twenty, the Pareto uh, principle? You know, where where what's gonna perish the the fastest, the quickest? And where am I gonna get my biggest bang for the buck? <laughs> Pun intended. When I'm getting back to the range, I want to make sure I get back up to speed in relatively quick order. And so um, I'm actually going to start by answering that with more of a procedural thing uh, when we go to the range. I believe in doing some sort of, of warm-up when I'm at the range. But I also believe in testing myself when I am most cold, Right? So it used to be that I'd go to the range and I would immediately jump right into a warm up, like say a, a dot torture drill, fifty shots. You know, it's a it's a great drill. It's challenging. It's it's great for a warm up. It really puts me in a in a good place, uh, focus wise, mentally. You know, and when I'm looking to get to get a, a a good range session in. But you know, in the last year or so, I, I've started getting to where I like to test certain skills. Uh, cold because that's honestly when that's our best measurement i think i talked about this it feels like i talked about this recently um that's my best measurement is when i'm you know so when it's best to test yourself is when you're cold because that's the performance that really matters you would carry a gun for personal defense well the day you have to use it in defense you're going to be cold so that you know knowing where you are cold not warmed up is a better reflection of where am I at currently. So my range sessions like uh, these days go like this. I show up and I will test myself sometimes on just one thing, sometimes it's multiple things. Now, knowing if you've been away from the range for a while, it wouldn't be a bad idea to test yourself on multiple things. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, drills and tests and things are, are I think, best when they more or less isolate certain aspects of shooting, right? Because that gives us, you know, the best feedback of, well, I can tell that I'm weak in one of, you know, these following areas. The test that I start with always now when I go to the range, and I I don't know this will be the case forever, you know, uh, but I like it and it's a great test. And I do the Jack Wilson drill or Jack Wilson test as I'm actually starting to to call it more now because it is just that. 
I mean, Jack Wilson, famous name now amongst, you know, our followers and our community, because what he did was pretty remarkable, right? Cold from the holster, recognizing a threat that needed to be stopped immediately. That threat, which was turning its shotgun towards the front of the the chapel or sanctuary, about to maybe shoot the pastor and uh, or reverend or I don't know what we call it. I don't I don't know that much about that particular church and its organization, right? So Jack Wilson sees that, draws his gun, drops him with a single headshot, right? Mm-hmm. That's the test I begin with now all the time because I want to know because. Because I could just start straight, I could go right into, say, a bill drill, which I, I used to do all the time as a cold test, and I still do, uh, because that's also, I think, a pretty good representation of a lot of self-defense encounters. Relatively close distance. I mean, it's seven yards. Multiple shot string. So you got to, sh- what, what, what are you demonstrating when you can successfully shoot a bill drill? You're demonstrating control of your weapon, that you have what it takes to draw, get that gun out and on target quickly. You know, in a in a quick in a fast time time frame, a standard of time, and then that you can put accurate shots on that target again and again and again and again, and not have recoil pushing you around, not having your grip break down, that kind of stuff. And so, build drill is great, and I'm gonna come back to that. But now I start with the Jack Wilson test uh, because I that it it, it frankly is. It's one shot, and mm-hmm. it's not maybe the most thrilling thing in the world, but it's not an easy thing to do. My personal standard is to do it in under two seconds. The official standard, as I've uh, created it, uh, you know, in, in, when I use it, and we just used it in a church security team class a couple weeks back that I taught, um, you know, is is you got to do it in under three seconds. Okay. Uh, that is the standard. Now, for me personally, I try to do it always under two uh, because why not push myself, right? And I succeed, you know, about 85, 90% of the time. I'm trying to get to where I could succeed. I mean, 100% is great, right? But I'm always pushing myself, right? And riding that edge at 90, about 90% success rate is, is, you know, that constantly means I'm pushing myself. So anyway, Jack Wilson test. That's the first thing I do. Then I may, again, follow that with a few other tests or drills, uh, bill drill is a big one, and I already kind of touched on that. Six shots, seven yards on an eight-inch uh, circle target, like an IDPA uh, down zero target area, or USPSA metric IPSC target, uh, six by eleven-inch, you know, uh, rectangle. Uh, either one of those hit areas, that's fine. It's good, good enough standard. Uh, if you want to push yourself on that, you want to try to keep everything in a six-inch or a five-inch circle. That's cool too. Um, for me though, I'll shoot a bill drill cold, and I want to get six shots on that target. I want to do it in under two seconds if I can, but that's a, that's a, that's a really, really, really high standard. Most of the time when I'm cold, I shoot a build drill in about 2.15, 2.2. And I'll take that. That's respectable. It still shows and demonstrates, you know, good control. The, the big thing is I'm looking for cleanness in my hits. I want to know that I got all six hits. When I drop one of them, uh, if it's close, I'll be like, eh, okay. If it's a wide miss, then I, I get I get a little bit frustrated. And that tells me at some point during that string of fire, I lost control, right? The grip broke down. Something broke down a little bit, okay? Here's another really good test to run, I think, cold and gives a really good kind of a more broad baseline of where a shooter is at. 
and that is the five by five skills test. Uh, as designed by Bill Wilson, and is now also used as an abbreviated uh, qualification or classification um, or classifier, abbreviated classifier for IDPA. What's the five by five? Well, the five by five is first stage is you, you, you draw and you fire five shots, and it's done on an IDPA target, uh, I, uh, typically eight inch uh, hit area. And then you also need a four inch circle uh, area for the headshot. So first stage, draw, fire five shots. Get that all in the in the body. Uh, second stage, draw and fire five shots one-handed only. So your 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 normal dominant shooting hand. Third stage, draw. Oh, so again, that implies the first stage was two-handed, right? It, it actually just says freestyle. If you could do one-handed two times if you wanted, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, two-handed is a little bit easier. Third stage is freestyle again. So your choice, uh, most likely people are going to go two-handed, right? Draw, put five rounds on the body, perform a slide lock reload, right? Slide locks back after those five rounds. Works really great if you start this drill off with 15 rounds in a mag. So you go five, and then you go five, and then you go five more. Gun locks back, you reload, put five more rounds into the body of the target. And then the final stage, the fourth stage is you draw, you put four in the body, one in the head, that four inch circle in the head. Okay. And, and I would say comparably a, a three by five card area is acceptable as well. It's, it's, it's representational enough, but a four inch circle is, is the standard. Now, what is it? So then what do you do? All right. So you take all those times, all of those hits and you, you want to take all the times and add them all up all together and get a get a composite, you know, total gross time for those four stages of uh, those four courses of fire and then or strings of fire. And then you're going to uh, uh, add any penalties and penalties are any misses anywhere are uh, add one more second. It used to be, I think that they said add half second. Now, I think the standard is you add a second. So and then you get your total score your total uh, and it's a time score and you then can compare that to well-known standards and it's it's you know basically and i'm not going to go through and list what all them that they are you can go look it up go look up a five by five skills test and you can also look at the idpa uh, classifier uh, scores they they split that up and break that down into well if it's this time then you're a you know master class shooter and so so on and so forth um but uh, my goal, cold, is to absolutely for sure do that all in 20 seconds or less. I really like to be around 18. Really doing well is 15 seconds or less. But I, I, I rarely could, I, I don't think I've ever actually done it 15 seconds or less cold. So I really, me, per, this is just me personally. And that's a really good standard, by the way. That, that actually, in a lot of divisions in IDPA, uh, classifies as a master class run. All right, so those are three tests. Now, in lieu of the build drill, I may just run five. You know, I may just do Jack Wilson in a five by five skills test, um, because the five by five is doing a lot of the same stuff that the uh, that the build drill is doing. Um, but the reason why I like the five by five is because you get kind of that build drill feel, but it's mixed mixing in a few other things, including reloads. One-handed shooting only, which that sometimes comes in. That's a relevant thing in defensive shootings, and also mixes in a precision shot of uh, to the head. And by the way, I forgot to mention this is all done from ten yards, right? So it's a really good mix, and you can look at each of those different uh, uh, strings of fire and go, okay, you know, where am I lacking the most? 
And what you're going to find is your grip may be suffering. Uh, you may not be as focused on your sight pictures, what you need to do, need to be to make some of the shots. Um, you may find out that your trigger work is really sloppy and you'll see that with, you know, some, some classic low left shots in the case, right hand shooters, um, you know, or, 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 or on that headshot, you know, that's a little bit more of a difficult shot to make and you may push that one, uh, out, out of that circle, you know? So, so that, that I think is a really well-rounded test. Now I just spent a lot of time describing all that, but I did it for, with a purpose because I, I would encourage everybody listening here, like start with something like that cold because that tells you where you are and then that can help guide what you're going to spend the rest of your time working on now you it's not about it did i already have a plan and you may already have a sense well i'm probably gonna need to work on you know these things when i go to the range next um so that would be a couple things i would do cold uh before i even consider doing a so-called Warm up. Now you might even consider doing, you know, because if you do Jack Wilson, follow it up with a five by five skills test. That's twenty five rounds of five by five. Um, you know, that's that that may be that may serve as a warm up, or you may want to still go ahead and do something. And it's not a bad idea to do some slower fire stuff where you're really focused on the actual like fundamentals of shooting a, a pistol. Uh, so maybe following up the five by five skills skills test and doing uh, some some B eight target, you know, just just trying to shoot for 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 precision and show and demonstrate that uh, you have what it takes to still work that trigger smoothly, to not anticipate, to not flinch, that sort of stuff. Um, that's kind of that's that's typically a routine that I follow these days. So I apologize for taking all that time. Uh, throw it back to you, Matthew, uh, to uh, to to get your input or also to lead us into uh, the next thing. Uh, no, I, I I think you you hit on a lot of good points. I mean, when you when you go to the range, if you're always going to be better and you're always going to get better results if you have a plan, if you have some sort of strategy of, you know, let me analyze and see where I am and what I can work on, right? And and, and tailor it to specific skill sets that might have perished more or might have worn down a little bit more than others. Um, one thing that I noticed. Um, is that, you know, if you haven't been, uh, if, if you've been kind of stuck dry firing for a long time, right? Let's say, for instance, there's some sort of global pandemic and you all, everything's shut down and there's government overreach all over and they shut everything down. You can't go to the range. Not going to happen, but let's say it does. And you can't get to the range for a while. Uh, so you spend a lot of time dry firing and you're doing, you know, you're using LASR and you're using this and that. Um, one thing that I, I you know, y you can still kind of uh, keep your fundamentals of, you know, how do my sights look and my sight picture and, and maybe working the trigger a little bit. But what I find is that uh, your grip, because it, your grip may lack in when you shoot like that build drill initially. Because in dry fire, using LSR and stuff, you can get away with running a build drill with a weaker grip or not ideal grip, right? Because the recoil isn't moving that gun around in your hand. But once you get out on the range, if you don't establish that good grip right away, it's definitely going to show. So it's like one of those things that, you know, that live fire will kind of expose just that little bit of weakness in your grip that you kind of been slacking off, maybe getting away with, 
you know, maybe doing your draw to one shot and you're, you, you get that first shot off, but it, you have kind of a funky grip. It's not a great grip, but you still get a good time. So you're like, pat yourself on the back type thing. Um, so I think that's might be something to start with. Like, you know, if you're, if, if you get back and you're trying to run those build drills and stuff and you're like, ah, man, I'm my, my times are really low. I'm, or, you know, or really high. I, I must, I must just be, you know, really rusty. Maybe just focus on those little fundamental type things like, Hey, how am I gripping the gun? Is my grip kind of a little, you know, my slacking off just a bit on that, or my really seeing my sights the way I should be. Um, those are the types of things that I think get covered up in dry fire a little mm-hmm. bit. It's a really great point. And, and actually that's one of the reasons why I'm a big pro- pro- proponent when doing dry fire that uh, to, to grip with, pretty much the same grip pressure as you do during line fire. Mm-hmm. And the, the the tendency is to get a little bit lax about your dry fire and because you recognize that the gun's not going bang and it's not moving, unless you're using something like a, a, a cool fire trainer, right, right, which we've right. talked about before and I've done demonstrations on shop talk with and stuff. But uh, um, you know, obviously, because that is actually cycling the, the gun, but, but most of the time, and I'll be honest, a lot of my dry fire work is... Even though I have a cool fire, I'm not using it all the time. I'm still doing a ton of dry fire work with just a basic, with just my normal gun, you know, making it safe. I I usually put a barrel block in it just because I, you know, it's a that's a good idea to, you know, it's a it's a value, valuable tool to have for that purpose. Um, but yeah, it's really easy to 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 la- to relax on things like grip and stuff during dry fire. So, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody recently online. They were asking some question or there was some debate about something and I responded with uh, you know, no, I oh, I know what it was. I I posted a video actually uh and uh just just showing me, you know, doing uh dry fire work working on reloads cuz my reloads frankly have never been all that awesome. They're not bad, they're just not that awesome and uh uh you know and, and lately i they probably slacked a little bit so i post that video and the dude's like you know just somebody and he's just trying to be helpful he's like hey hey you know uh, maybe you should relax a little bit because i mean you could tell i'm like i'm flexing right you know muscles and, and things are, are and veins are popping you know things are <laughs> you know not that i'm like you know that crazy but you know like and i, I don't look the biggest up, up upper body you know as i probably could be but but having swung hammers and stuff for as many years as i have i got really tight uh, forearms. So yeah, I mean, he sees that and he's like, dude, uh, maybe relax a little bit. And I'm like, no, I, I actually, I use the same grip when I'm doing dry fire as I do when I'm doing live fire for this reason. I mean, there's other reasons, but, but this is a big one right here where you just mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> ben on Facebook, Riley smash. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> You're all hulking out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dude, that's really good stuff. Um, okay, so here, here's, you know, a lot of what I said is, is good advice for anybody, anytime, regardless of if you had a long break for the range or not. The reason I wanted to, this is a good opportunity to talk about that stuff today because doing this kind of stuff and doing a cold, you know, where you've been away for a while, that's probably going to be a wake-up call for a lot of people. And that's why I think it has a lot of relevance today. Now, again, what do we want to pull out of that? We want to pull out of that. What are my biggest weaknesses right now? What has perished the most? And so, uh, 
you know, having a combination of things where we're being asked to make precise shots, we either make those or we don't, combined with making quicker string of fire, strings of fire, you know, what I'm looking for is, am I getting my grip? Am I establishing that grip? Is my trigger work doing the job of pressing the trigger and the gun not moving when I'm doing that? And am I seeing my sights, seeing what I need to see relative to my sights on target so that I know when, when, the, when the sights are there, right? And, and not shooting when I don't have the sight picture that I need, right? Those are probably the three biggest things for me. The, you know, the other day I was, uh, so I got, I got to the range finally, you know, a week or, or so or two ago, and I, I shot, uh, uh, I like doing lately these uh, B8, you know, uh, basically the test, which is an old drill by uh, Ken Hackathorne, and Larry Vickers has his version as well. Ten shots on a B8 target. Normally done at 10 yards for the, the true 10-10-10, as it's sometimes called, drill. Um, but I like to step it back to 25 and still try to do it under the 10 second par time because it's that like tell you what if anything will show you significant deficiencies as you find that distance because i, I recognize for some shooters 25 yards trying to do that another 10 seconds shots are going to be all over and that's mm-hmm. not going to be as nearly as helpful of of telling you like what's going on find that distance where you can reasonably perform something like this, it might be 10 yards for you doing the, the classic test and, and whether you can kind of generally keep your shots in, in the black or close to the black on the B8 target or 15 yards, 20 yards, you know, just find that distance. Well, for me, running that after I hadn't been in the range in a while from 25 yards, uh, you know, I scored a 94 out of 100, which is, which is very respectable in under 10 seconds on, on a drill like that. But... If you look at my misses, where were my misses on the target? Low left. What happened as it relates to those misses? Gun moved. You know, I, I clenched. I flinched slightly as that trigger was being pressed. That's what happened, right? So what does that tell me? It tells me one. It tells me two things. One, I could perhaps, it may not necessarily be the answer. I may already be applying a lot of grip pressure. I could perhaps try to compensate by even further increasing grip pressure. Maybe my grip pressure has relaxed some. Maybe it's not as strong as it once was when I was shooting a lot. Whatever. Okay, it could be that. But it's also a function of how good of a job I was doing with relating. You know, was I... I'll tell you, even at speed, at 25 yards, you still have to do some trigger... You got to do trigger prep mm. to make those those hits count, Right. And so you got to you got to get to that wall. You got to start pushing through that wall. You got to get you know as close to to the breaking point of that trigger, right? And then confirm your side picture and let it go. And so what that tells me is there was a couple of shots there where I did not do that. I did not prep the trigger well enough to uh, to make those shots. And so I gave it, that gave myself the time and opportunity to yep, just move slightly. And, and so that's what that tells me. That's why stuff like that is a really good uh, uh, drill. Now, how do we work on things like this? Matthew, your thoughts. Like, how, how do I, what are some things that you would do uh, now you're back to the range for the first time in a while to work on your trigger? Yeah, well, you, we do a couple, I know we run a couple different drills in, uh, in the Guardian class that specifically work on trigger isolation type drills, right? Like, uh, we try to prep the, tr- prep the trigger, 
uh, work on drills that prep the trigger and and really get you in tune with where is where is that trigger breaking and how much can I prep it because. Um, you, you, I mean, if you're just dry firing, you're not getting that, you're probably not, and, and you haven't live fired your gun for a while. You're probably, you know, maybe a little out of tune with where exactly that, that, that triggers breaking. I mean, you could dry fire that all day long and, and really start to, to understand where your gun is, but, uh, there's nothing really that replaces like that. Uh, live fire replication of a, a of a rapid fire drill where you're prepping the trigger in between shots. Um, one shot is is one thing, but uh, I really like I, I like that drill where you know you, you present the gun, you're prepping the trigger, you get it to the wall, and then there's another command that says you know whatever the, the command might be to break that shot, and then you quickly come off the trigger and reset it right back to that wall, and so you're kind of ingraining that like that mechanical sewing machine type, you know, motion with your trigger finger that resets right away. Because truthfully, that's, that's a, a, a struggle that I have sometimes is especially if you've, if you've learned like precision shooting with rifles and things, and people tend to think to pin the trigger back to the rear, or, you know, they, they don't get into that idea of cycling that trigger as the gun is, is, uh, you know, uh, recoiling. And so that's a, that's a really good, uh, way to help sp mm -hmm. speed up your splits because a lot of people lose time in their splits. Mm -hmm. So I'll throw out there, uh, and I realize we're getting close to the, the hard stop that Matthew has. So this be, you know, probably one of the last, this will be the last thing I say about this subject today. <laughs> uh, and maybe we'll come back to some of these things here. Cause I, I do think we can probably expand on some, uh, some of these ideas as well. But, um, Two things I do relating to trigger that I that I like to do and and requires live fire, uh, and one is to take the eyes out of the equation, right? Because sometimes what happens is when we are staring so intently at a target and we know where we want to hit and we're trying to get the sights you know right there and then as soon as we see that then we slam to the trigger. Um, there's some, there's something about that as the eye is, is feeding information to the brain and the brain's trying to tell the trigger finger when to move and what to do that in that process, um, it, it initiates that anticipation that that's then going to follow sometimes. And so taking the eye out of the equation can be very helpful. So typically at a closer range, uh, three yards is, is a pretty decent, uh, range on a, a circle about the size of a dot torture circle. So like two and a half, three inches, something like that. Um, pointing on the target. Get everything lined up, close the eyes, and then at that point, you're just focused on pressing the trigger, uh, prepping it properly, getting to the wall, pressing through that wall, finding that break point, bam, setting that shot. Now, during the course while you're doing this and your eyes are closed, your hands may move the gun a little bit off target. That's true. Um, but w what I want to impress upon you as the shooter, as the student, let's say, is to pay attention to what you're feeling with the trigger, not necessarily what you're seeing. Because the eyes sometimes can kind of override what we feel in the hand or in the finger. And so just closing the eyes. So even if you hit or not, it doesn't matter. And, and you'll tell you what, for max effect, take three or four shots, maybe five shots in a row. Because uh, regardless if you drip off drift off target a little bit, uh, those shots typically, provided there's not major issues with your grip, are going to be grouped pretty much together or close to. And what that'll show a shooter a lot of times is they pay attention to what they're doing at the trigger. As, you know, They feel that trigger a little bit uh, more than what they maybe are normally accustomed to is that's going to improve their ability to press through that trigger without moving the gun. Number two, 
is put the eyes back into the equation, but you put all of that focus, energy, and effort into looking at and watching what the trigger is doing. And so actually not aiming at anything in particular, just making sure you're in a safe direction, pointing at a berm. Uh, you don't have to have a target for this, but turning the gun sideways and in front of your face, watch your trigger finger press the trigger and try to see and feel all the different stages of that trigger, where the wall occurs at, where the break actually occurs at, all of that stuff, and walk yourself through that process while you're watching it, because that can further enhance your learning of what's going on with your trigger as you're pressing it. And then our goal is when we combine that with looking at a target, looking through our sights, trying to put an accurate shot on target, we want to feel that exact. We want to feel that same experience occurring with the trigger, uh, and that's going to help us avoid the the, the the clench. Is like what I often call it. So mm-hmm. that would be uh, some things that you can tr- do at the live range um, to learn your trigger better. Properly prepping it when you need to to make good precise shots will make a big difference for you in being able to actually hit those shots. So anyway, all right, that's all I got. Matthew, last words as we got to say goodbye? No, man, w- words of wisdom all the time, man. You're you, uh, telling us a, a lot of your secrets, so that's good, man. <laughs> <laughs> secrets, yes. Better start charging for the podcast now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thanks for doing the episode with me today, bro. Yeah, thank um, you, man. Good stuff, man. And uh, hopefully you all listening got some value from this today that you can take away and go work on. Uh, and, uh, you know what, hit us up with any questions or stuff that you have, including if you have questions about your shooting or, or this or that, you know what, you can always contact us at podcast at concealed carry.com. We, we, we love interacting with our listeners and hearing from you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, for those of you that do write into us. Today's episode is brought to you by mountainmanmedical.com and also Mantis X, which you can buy at concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X. We thank you for joining with us in today's episode, for being a part of it with us, and we bid you adieu. And until next time, train right, train often, and train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.